You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm Ben Sternke. I'm here with Matt Tebby. Yep, I'm here too. And um, we are excited to be with you again. Um, on this lovely, uh, whenever, whatever day it is that you're listening to this, Any I was going to say Tuesday because we come out on day. we come out on Tuesdays. But um, but whatever uh, day or place or time that you're listening to this, um, hope it's good for you. Um, we're going to get into a new topic, kind of a mini series uh, that we're starting today. Uh, Matt's going to talk a little bit about that later, but um, just wanted to make sure that uh, y'all still knew about a couple upcoming events. Uh, that we're hosting. One is an Enneagram workshop in Atlanta, uh, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, uh, August 17th and 18th. We'll put that uh, information in the show notes. Um, If you uh, don't know why you'd want to come to an Enneagram workshop or you're not sure what the Enneagram is, um, this would be a great workshop for you. But uh, it's it's an excellent uh, spiritual formation uh, tool um, that's uh, rooted in, um, uh, it's, it's very old, very old tool uh, from from ancient times uh, that we've found a tremendous amount of help from, and so like the nineteen um, sixties. Is that what you mean? Yeah, like the ancient. Hippies, yeah, hippies. like yeah, yeah. Uh, no, from from way back before then. But um, but yeah, that might be interesting. Incidentally, if you guys don't follow the Enneadog on Twitter, if you have a Twitter account, you should follow. And you're interested in the Enneagram. <laughs> uh, the Enneadog is a is a fantastic uh, Twitter follow. It's basically just gifs of dogs. Uh, with Enneagram uh, captions. I find it hilarious. I'll put that in the show notes, too. Anyway. Great. Incidentally. If you're not signed up for our weekly email, yes, uh, you could sign up for our weekly email on yes. our website, and you get links. You would have known about this a <laughs> couple weeks ago. You would have get because uh, it was in the weekly links uh, that we re- released today when we're recording this podcast. So, um, so that's coming up. And then uh, we're also doing a prayer school, another prayer school with Brian Zond in New York City. 
on Roosevelt Island uh, with one of our coaches, Dan Sadler, out there. That's September 14th and 15th. Again, check the show notes for that. Um, and uh, if you've been listening to the podcast at all, you know uh, how big of a how big fans we are of prayer school um, and uh, of the way that Brian uh, leads people through that. So wanted to encourage you to check those two things out. And also, um, we're always starting new coaching groups. Um, if you're not familiar with Gravity Leadership Academy, um, that's kind of our, it's 10 months of coaching. It's a pretty intensive process, but it's the most transformative thing that we do. If you're intrigued by some of the ideas uh, and topics that we talk about on this podcast, uh, the way that we, we've actually put a lot of time and effort into training people to actually do this stuff in their everyday ordinary lives. And that's where we do that work uh, is in the Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts. So if you're interested in that, uh, check those things out. In the show notes, um, today we want to talk about, a, we're going to start a new series um, on Well, Matt, why don't you tell us what the new series is and uh, why we're doing it? Yeah, so one of the things that we are passionate about, we're committed to, is empowering women to be in ministry alongside men in the local church and in the world. And this is not, we don't have like a position paper on this, so there's not a statement on our website, but we are uh, obviously committed to this. We coach women pastors. We have women pastors who are part of our coaching. We have... This will be scandalous, maybe. We have women coaches who coach men. We mm-hmm. have men coaches that coach women. So we aren't, we aren't just simply committed to the full empowerment and access of women in ministry roles in the church, but we're actually, uh, that's rooted more deeply in a commitment to reconciliation between men and women in the church mm. and learning how to actually inhabit spaces, social ministry uh public spaces in a, in a way that is, um, you could even call them friendships, maybe. Yeah. Even having actual friendships between right. men and women in the church. Yes. Right? Yeah. So we're committed to this, and we wanted to start a series, I'm not sure how many weeks it'll go, but it's going to be a series on things we've learned as men about uh, ministering alongside women in the church and the pitfalls, obstacles, frustrations problems, ways we've gotten in our own way mm-hmm. in doing that, yeah. and the things we're learning. And throughout this, we'll hear from guests who will speak their experiences too. We'll hear from men and women. Uh, we don't really want to bring women on and to speak for all women. We also don't want to just have a bunch of guys sitting around talking about uh, how, how philanthropic they've been helping right. women, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. So it's, it's really just more of like a, we want to couch this as, this is what we're learning. And so we want to invite feedback and dialogue if you hear something that you that's helpful for you or that you disagree with or you have other things for us to think about or talk about please uh, let us know at podcast at gravityleadership.com yes so i thought we'd start this series i'm not sure how many podcasts it'll be it'll probably grow and what we'll need to do will emerge as we go mm-hmm. on yeah but i thought we'd talk start today with just telling our story you know mm. we Ben and I come from backgrounds and traditions and her- a heritage that has a decided view on how women or if women could be or should be in leadership in the local church. So Ben, will you mm. tell us your story? Like yeah. the church you grew up in, yeah. the tradition you came out of, like what were some of the assumptions mm-hmm. and experiences you had as a young person that uh, you've had to work through as an adult? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a, it was a charismatic church plant that my parents helped to plant in a small town in southern Minnesota. 
And uh, they eventually uh, got connected with the Evangelical Covenant Church, um, which uh, is a small Swedish denomination um, that's actually doing some interesting work uh, today. But they were, you know, they're, they're not a charismatic denomination, but they were willing to take on a charismatic church. And so uh, the charismatic gifts were very much a, a big part of um, my experience of church growing up. And um, when you say that, do you mean like speaking in tongues, yeah. prophecy? Yep. There was a woman who spoke in tongues. She was like the resident uh, tongue speaker. Uh, in our church, and she just she would every once in a while have a we'd have a, a a time in our service where we'd wait to see if anybody had a word of prophecy or a word in tongues or anything like that, and she would oftentimes speak uh, in tongues, and it always sounded that, as a kid like I always remember thinking, I mean you know it didn't it, it felt just normal. Like, this sounded well, like this, but this sounds like last week. Is uh, that what you're thinking? Yeah, well, it just it was always the same. You know, she wasn't speaking different languages. She apparently had this one language, you know, that she would speak. And so, and then we would just wait for an interpretation. And so, um, anyway, so that, that, you know, that's part of my, part of my upbringing uh, was, was being in a charismatic church. And in that church, obviously that, that woman who spoke uh, was a woman um, and she was, you know, speaking a word that was for the church. And so oftentimes it would be interpreted and we would hear, you know, a word of encouragement from the Lord, sometimes even a word of like warning or or something like that that felt a little bit more serious to me as a kid. Um, was the so, interpretation given by a guy or a woman? Um, that's a good question. Or did it vary? I think it varied. Um, the one time I'm thinking of, it was it was given by a, a man. Um but that wasn't necessarily a rule or anything like that. So, so it's interesting. Um, so I, I remember women um, ministering in various ways. Um, but I remember uh, at some point asking my, asking my parents um, about that, about like women, you know, what do they do in ministry? Because I, I think I remember just thinking as a kid, like most of the senior pastors that I know of churches are men. And so is that like a rule or how to, you know, and I was and I was I was asking them about their marriage. I think it was a little older, where I was like, okay, so like, is dad the head of the household, or like, how does this work here? You know, that kind of thing. I remember their answer was um, uh, pretty wise and gracious. I think where they uh, they had a very nuanced view, but I remember this phrase, which was like, the only thing is that it seems like women shouldn't be senior pastors. Hmm. And I remember just you know as a kid just taking that in and going, huh, okay. But as I as I grew older, um, and I I got more into the scriptures and and into you know I felt this calling to ministry and and different things like that, um, I began to feel like this this feels like an arbitrary distinction, or it feels to me like in scripture I don't know that like why are you drawing the line there? So, well, they can't be senior pastors. Well, I don't well, like why. There's no senior pastors in the Bible, you know that kind of thing. So it just started to I started to have some questions about this belief that I had. Just grown up with as a, you know, just a well, you know, that's what mom and dad think, so it's probably it's probably all right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, from there grew into um, beginning to feel like I needed to affirm uh, women being able to function in all kinds of areas, you know, in the church. But I sort of I had this thing in the back of my head, which was like, but can I do that biblically? Like, can I be serious about the Bible? And do that? Like, are there ways of interpreting these passages? And I remember reading a commentary as I was preparing for a sermon series one time from, uh, uh, I think it was F.F. Bruce, um, old commentary guy. And he... Uh, Frederick, he had, Frederick Feuerbach, Bruce? 
I don't know. What are the FF? What's the? FF? I don't know. I don't actually know what the FF stands let's say, for. Let's say let's 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 say Frederick Feuerbach. <laughs> Uh, that sounds that sounds uh, impressive. Sounds German. No one will know yep. except for the, the yeah. twenty thousand people who are listening that know. Yes, right. <laughs> but anyway, um, I remember this phrase, I, and I and I've I remember this phrase because I've repeated it several times when people have asked me, "What's your position?" You know, like on women in ministry. And uh, the sentence was this: "Is I believe that women ought to be empowered to do anything that the Spirit seems to have gifted them to do." That sounds very charismatic. It sounds very charismatic, and it it it, it did uh, strike me that I was like, okay, I grew up in a charismatic church. I've learned how to honor what the Spirit is doing, and that seemed good to me. It seemed right to me. It seemed like, okay, I can affirm the authority that I'm resting on is not only scriptural. I've learned I I learned some ways of interpreting passages that uh, traditionally I had thought you know disqualified women from certain you know, areas of ministry. Um, had learned some ways of interpreting to say, actually, there, there might be something else going on here. Like, the, the reason that those seem so clear to me might be the lenses I'm wearing, you know, rather than something that's actually in the Scripture. But also adding to that, this, this level of, like, the charismatic um, authority of the gifts of the Spirit, of saying, you know what, the Spirit does seem to be working here. This is how the, the New Testament discerned uh, the, the, the apostles and the church in the early in the New Testament, this is how they discerned everything, was what does the Spirit seem to be doing? Well, okay, that, let's, let's do that, right? And, yeah. and let's, let's trust it. So, so um, that was an important uh, uh, moment, I think, where I, I was able to say, yes, let's affirm that women can do whatever the Spirit seems to have gifted them uh, to do. Um, and so that was like theoretically, I'd like, I felt like I'd crossed the line, you know, like, okay, great, like, Theoretically or theologically, I can affirm this. Um, but then, like, you get into practically how that actually works, and that's where that's where the learning really started for me, and okay. it and is ongoing. Okay. Um, and so there's there's a there's a huge amount of issues um, with uh, with regard to that. I would I would call them like habits of patriarchy that I didn't know were in me. Hmm. Um, and one of the one of the phrases uh, spoken to me by a woman that I lead with was uh do you one of, this is an icon i guess of of this process for me is she said um hey uh i need to bring something to you do you realize how much you interrupt me in meetings mm. <laughs> and i was and i honestly didn't realize mm. that i that i interrupted her so much uh yeah. in meetings and um that that has been an ongoing sort of point of repentance for me of realizing like wow like what am I? Like what do I? Wow, I've got these habits yeah. of patriarchy kind of embedded into my bones. Yeah. That even though I affirm women in ministry, I have these habits that I have to repent of as I practically learn how to lead with women. Did those habits of patriarchy lead you then to explain to her <laughs> why you interrupt her? Why <laughs> right, it's so right. necessary? Let me explain. Let me mansplain this to you. <laughs> right. Um, probably. I mean, that's probably the, like my, my first impulse was probably to think. Uh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't interrupting. I was correcting and rebuking in season and out of season. Right, right. It's in the Bible. It's fine. <laughs> oh yeah, man, what totally. a what a blessed what a what a severe mercy that is, right? Yeah, to have, yeah, to have a, someone care about you that much. Yes, because I'm sure it was not easy for her to say that to me. No, either. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm very. Uh, grateful, and also just you know realizing 
as I've heard, I mean, we've had Tara Beth Leach and we've had Mandy Smith on this podcast. I'm thinking of them specifically because they've both narrated the ways in which um, the experience of becoming a leader or trying to embrace a leadership gift as a woman is so vastly different from the way that I uh, was able to embrace and explore mine. Yeah, uh, There's just a, a, a lot more obstacles in their way. And I've had to, I've had to learn how to make room for that um, rather than just assume their journey will probably be like mine. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll get into that. Those are some of the things I'm learning and you're learning. Yeah. I would say my story sure. my story is different. I we didn't have a woman in my Roman Catholic church who would prophesy every week. That was not allowed. <laughs> uh, or if I don't know if it was uh, not allowed, it just didn't happen. Yeah. But I, I had an interesting experience growing up. I grew up in sort of a um, a, you know, a, a religious home, like a Roman Catholic home, which, you know, has a very uh, definitive, sort of clear stance on what women can do in the church and can't. Uh, very traditionalist, sort of, in hierarchy and roles and things like that. But I grew up in more of a, like, a feminist home, right? So there mm. was a, uh, my mom likes to call herself a Kennedy Democrat. So, mm, uh, yeah. and a lot of Catholics still are Kennedy Democrats. And what they mean by that is they're economically sort of more progressive and socially more conservative. Yeah. Um, part of the social conservative, though, where they broke that mold was I, I grew up with kind of this just understanding or the milieu of just that w- women deserve equal rights and that they shouldn't be looked down on because of gender and there was no, there's no, Inequality or distinction between men and women in terms of worth or value or even place in the culture, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up with that. But then when I I went to college and became a Christian, I was immediately kind of um, p- poured into by people that had very dis- very distinct understandings and articulations about what men and women could do uh, in ministry and couldn't do. Hmm. And so very quickly, I had to do this pivot or this shift of, oh, okay, I grew up kind of in this uh, sort of uh, religious, paganized, feminist home, and and now I've got to learn what the Bible says. Hmm. What, what does God say, right? Anything that, anything that I believe that doesn't comport with what God says, I need to jettison what I believe and, and grapple or wrestle with what God says. So very quickly, I sort of adopted... A kind of a standard conservative evangelical understanding of this is biblical manhood, this is biblical womanhood. And I won't go into all that on this podcast, but um, just really quickly, you know, a man is a leader, they're the head of the home and the church, and a wife is to submit to the head of the home and the church. And in doing this, they are, they are settling into their God-ordained roles, created roles um, in and pleasing the Lord this way, right? So they're mm. equal in status, but uh, unequal in role or office. So this was sort of my experience, but I, I started working at a church that was a mainline Presbyterian church that had a female pastor at it. Hmm. Um, she wasn't the lead pastor. There was a senior pastor and then three associate pastors. And she was one of the associate pastors. And honestly, I was so, I was so young and foolish— <laughs> uh, no, I, I was so probably just oblivious. Um, oh gosh, I was so oblivious in my twenties. Mm. Uh, I'm still oblivious in my forties, but like, I'm perhaps uh, less surprised by it. Um, but I just didn't. The incongruity of what I believed about men and women and the Bible d- 
didn't wasn't brought to bear with this woman uh, being my pa- my pastor, right? And having some kind of authority in our body of believers that was distinguishable from mine. Um, and I think I think I didn't really reflect on that until I went to seminary after I'd worked there and mm. began to notice that what I was told was true about men and women in the church from the Bible. There were there were two things that really bothered me about it. The first was it didn't comport with my experience. Mm. Now this is a this was a big deal for me because as a as a conservative uh, somebody who came to Christ as a conservative evangelical, I'm taught to yeah. question, be suspicious, uh, almost disavow my experience yeah. as not as as not a place to build doctrine or truth or anything like that, right? Right, right. So I can't trust my experience. What I can trust is the objective sort of uh, interpretation of Scripture. Right. Um which and, is ironic. You put objective before interpretation. Well, though. there, but but like, there's a grammatical historical way right. of yeah. handling the text rightly right. that leads you to the perspicuity and clarity of what the text was intended right. to communicate. That's the assumption, right? So there is there. It, it, I, I'm saying objective because that's my gloss on it. Mm. But the way it was taught to me is if you follow these rules yeah. and you stay away from these exegetical fallacies. In fact, read the book on it and become mm-hmm. so accustomed to them that you you are allergic to committing any of these fallacies like yeah. you will be able to divine the truth right you'll be yeah. able to read the scripture yeah. and get at the actual truth that's there and if your experience doesn't comport with it there's something wrong with your experience nothing yeah. wrong you well, know, nothing you, wrong with your interpretation right well just ex- with your experience but here's the assumption experience is the land of subjective perception yes Bible interpretation is a land of objective analysis. Yep. Yep. That's the assumption. That's the assumption. Yeah. And uh I mean I'm I'm if you're okay, you're listening. I was going to say if you're listening, but you wouldn't be listening if you weren't listening. No. Yeah. Uh that is just not true. Like our interpretation is just as subjective yep. as our experience. Yep. Right? So there's a sense in which we always are perceiving from a location, from a perspective, yes, and we can't not do that. Yeah, we can just be aware of our perspective and yep. we're aware of other people's perspectives in a sort of a yep. conversation. But we we can't remove the subjectivity from either our experience. How yep. could you do that? Mm-hmm. Or our interpretation. Right. right. So the first thing I realized was I felt really bad about not confronting this woman pastor for several years. Right. Because I felt like, uh, the- well. Bible would instruct the you Bible, to do, yeah. yeah. The Bible says that I should have, right? And then also realizing, so was the first thing. Um, second thing was I realized that, man, the way that my Bible teachers interpreted the passages that they built their theology on for describing biblical manhood and womanhood and, and how women had a place in the church that was distinguishable from the place men had in the church, I realized that the hermeneutical moves they made to apply those texts to their theology, that they weren't making those hermeneutical moves in other places. So let me say mm. that. There wasn't a consistent hermeneutic. Meaning like way of interpreting scripture, right? Yeah. Way of interpretation. Yeah. So so um, there, 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 it, was, it, it became increasingly apparent to me that there was an established theology driving interpretation, 
And so we're going to interpret texts through this theology rather than listen to these texts and then construct a theology from them. Like, right. you know, or, or. Right. That's the subjectivity. Like that. Yeah. Like you were realizing, okay, this isn't just in the Bible and we're just reading it. Yeah. It's we're doing different things with different texts based on what we think the text should say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just for instance on that, I remember sitting in class, we were having a, um, a New Testament scholar who's a uh, prominent, so he would he would describe himself as a complementarian, which is uh, the word that a lot of conservative evangelicals use to describe this biblical manhood and womanhood kind of understanding yeah, that I... Very distinct roles. Very yeah. distinct roles, uh, kind of a hierarchy of, yeah. um, of responsibility and authority. I remember sitting in class with um, my distinguished New Testament professor, and he he came to 1 Timothy 2, and I remember thinking, oh good, now I'm going to hear him kind of give this case for this text. And that's the text, by the way, off the top of my head, that says, uh, Paul says, um, you know, I, I do not permit women to have authority over men, right? Mm-hmm. They must learn in, in yep. uh, quietness, well, humility, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and um, I remember him just saying, there's a lot of, this is, uh, this is not a quote, this is a sum- summary. He said, there's a, there's a lot of scholarship done on this text, and a lot of debate about it, but probably the best, most faithful interpretation is that Paul is prohibiting women from being local church pastors. And I remember just thinking, like, as he said that, immediately in my head I thought, um, there's nothing, the word pastor doesn't occur in this text. Mm-hmm. There is no local church like we have now right. in, in Ephesus the right. church that Timothy has, right? right. Yeah. So two of the two of the two of the words and concepts yeah. that that yeah. this interpreter was saying this text applies to didn't even exist in Paul's mind, right? Right. So like I just brought that up and it was sort of brushed off as, you know, um unimportant. Or, or yeah. I don't have time to explain this to you, right? Right. Because honestly, it's yeah. a long explanation to yeah. get there. I'm sure there was. I'm sure he had cogent sort of moves in his theology sure. to get there. But I just remember thinking, like, we aren't willing to interpret other texts in the manner in which we're interpreting this text to fit that theology. And I right. just went through them all in my head. Like, we don't we don't make these special provisions in mm-hmm. other places at all. Yeah. And it was one after another, I just realized the hermeneutic, the method of interpretation, is inconsistent, mm-hmm. and it's driven by a need to support an existing theology, yes. which, which kind of drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. So then when I no longer felt like I had, uh, I had to sacrifice my subjective experience at the altar of the objective interpretation, yeah. when I could hold that both of them are subjective, and when I realized that the way you get to this biblical manhood and womanhood is is creating hermeneutical rules that you don't impl- apply consistently throughout the rest of Scripture. And I realized that there were other ways to understand these texts that took more into account the ways we interpret every other text, which is like paying attention to context, um, understanding uh, that Paul is writing to a timely church thing with a timely issue, and so there are there's a missional sort of contextualization of things happening in certain texts that aren't happening elsewhere. Um, understanding that um, we can't lift up propositional statements in Scripture and hold them above narrative, as though proposition is a more divinely authored, inspired yeah 
persp- uh, clear, yeah. like like truth, and yeah. like narrative has to bow before proposition. Right. right? These are some of the hermeneutical ma- moves yep. that were made to get to this theology. I just realized they're all rubbish, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and it's what was freeing for me, but also a bit disorienting, Ben, because uh, you know there's this thing called the slippery slope. Yeah, have you, you don't heard, want to become a liberal. Have you or heard something? of this? Have yeah, you right? heard of the slippery slope? Like right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I I wanted to so so f- that started me on sort of this ruthless pursuit of having a a rigorous, robust hermeneutic that I don't have to get I don't have to pick and choose how I interpret a text based upon my theology, mm-hmm. uh, but I could name my theology up front as I come to a text yeah. and let the text challenge that. In whatever way it can, yeah. finding a consistent hermeneutic, yeah. right? Yeah. So that that was started to deconstruct for me these these roles and this understanding mm-hmm. that I had of men and women, yeah. Uh, and and then you know women who who subjectively told me, hey, I am I'm called to lead. I'm called to be a pastor, right? There there was a there was sort of this confrontation with, well, I can tell you to your face. That you're wrong, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Based upon this understanding I brought in, or I can listen to you, and we can discern. I can I can discern and sift what's going on here, kind of like what FF Bruce Frederick Feuerbach was saying <laughs> right. uh, in, in that message, yeah. and then and then allow that to influence the way I read the text. Hmm. And I remember I remember um, sitting in my Acts class. When I realized, like that's the that's the way that God changed Peter's mind yep. about Gentile inclusion in the church. Yep. So what God didn't do to Peter was give him an inductive Bible study, right? Of like Esther and Ruth, right? And you know, second Look at Kings, all these passages from Isaiah or, or whatever, right? Uh, have you thought about Deborah and how she led Israel? You know, like God didn't do that. What He did was He He gave him this mystical experience of a sheet from heaven. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then brought, uh, brought somebody to him and said, hey, come with me to a Gentile house. And it, it, he had to cross this huge threshold. It was the first time he'd gone to a Gentile yes. house. And then he discovered, he discovered that they had the Holy Spirit. And his conversion wasn't, uh, this is blasphemy. How did you guys get the Holy Spirit? Has Simon the Magician been here? I thought <laughs> right. I took care of him earlier. Right. Right. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't yeah. that. Yeah, it yeah. was, I must be wrong. My experience leads me to read again the scriptures. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm almost done with this sermon. Yeah. By the way, is also what happened with Jesus the Messiah. They yes. kept bringing to Jesus their interpretation of the scriptures. Are you going to be the one to restore Israel? You know, right. um, uh, can we sit at your right hand, your left hand when you come in glory? Right. Uh, we have two swords. Is that enough? Like they keep bringing these. Inter- like you could almost say, like from their inductive Bible studies, where they objectively interpreted the text, they keep bringing these expectations of what the Messiah is going to be, and Jesus kept disabusing him of that. Yep. And it wasn't through an Old Testament survey course. No, it was through their experience yep. of the Messiah they actually got that led them to go back right. and see that in the Old Testament. Luke twenty-four, Road yeah. to Emmaus, where they're like, "Oh, this was here the whole time." This was here the whole time, but we had to have this experience of being disappointed that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Yes. We had to have this, this scary experience of walking into a Gentile home and watching them speak in tongues and being freaked out, and then having to go back and tell <laughs> the rest of my apostle buddies uh, what happened, knowing that they're going to be like, dude, you're wrong. That can't be. So the, the idea that we derive at truth 
from using objective tools to interpret the scripture isn't biblical. Yep. That's not how the Bible that's not happened. How, that's not how the Bible <laughs> that's not how the Bible tells yeah. us that people grow and discover and change and convert in their faith. Now the mm. move is sometimes made uh, that what we see, the example we see in scripture, i.e. I, the apostles and all that, that's for them then, but mm-hmm. for us today, uh, thank God Almighty for the enlightenment. Now we can <laughs> now we can know truth based upon these sort of um, these grammatical historical tools. Yeah. But I just don't I don't understand how to derive any sort of example or model, which no. is what the New Testament tells me to do. Right. <laughs> Right. I don't know how to appropriate the New Testament as an example or model for my life if I make that move. Yeah. If I put their experience, their touch points of faith, the way that God speaks to them and moves in them, if I put that on some sort of dispensational shelf or on some kind of those are just for the apostle shelf, and now mm-hmm. and now we've got sort of the inerrant yeah. Bible and we we relate to God through the inerrant yeah. Bible like solely, objectively, yeah. I just can't make sense of the New Testament like that. No. And that was well, a so huge not, shift for me yeah. in coming to receive and affirm my sisters in ministry alongside yeah. me. Yeah, so it's a, uh, I mean, that in and of itself is an arbitrary move, you know, to say, oh, that was that was for them back then, and now we have this here. I mean, even that's an arbitrary move. So, um, so well, yeah, man. It's but it's made it's made with scripture, right? Right. So, like right. when the perfect comes, right? Like yeah. Paul says, right. right. And then and that's in the but again correspondence. It's a special hermeneutical rule that we invented for that totally. passage, right? Totally. Well, it d- drives our theology. So, if the Bible is the end of Revelation, so then we then we understand like, you know, that when the perfect comes, the perfect is the yeah the Bible the Bible right yeah we know yeah which is Paul was talking about that he wasn't talking he about wasn't that. talking about that. Well, uh, yeah, I think this is a good start. Um, it's interesting. I mean, we, we want to talk about um, uh, things that we're learning about uh, working alongside women in leadership and ministry um, and, you know, just friendship and, and life. Um, and we ended up uh, with a fairly deep hermeneutical uh, kind of lesson. But I actually think that is um, important because I do think it's one of the roadblocks, like you said, the slippery slope, the fear of the slippery slope prevents people, I think, from exploring a new way of reading the Bible. Yes, that's, it's a sub-biblical posture of interpretation, by the way, yeah. is to interpret, to defend, or out of fear. Yes. So anytime, anytime we're afraid of where God, the Holy Spirit, and Scripture wants to take us, we are not interpreting Scripture with love. Yeah. Which is the which is the uh, the hermeneutic of love is the only way for a Christian to read the scriptures. Yes, it's the only way you're ever going to really know anything. Right. Yeah. So it's the only way we know things. Yeah. Paul, it's it's evident in Paul's thought in places like Philippians, but he explicitly says it in Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a sense in which if if I'm afraid of where evidence, scripture, experience, tradition is going to lead me. I'm not yet at a place where I can actually wrestle with truth. Yeah. Because I'm too busy staying away from that which will make me afraid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to I Big just have deal. to realize yeah. have to realize like that's not a biblical posture. Like if we want to talk about be, being biblical Christians, mm-hmm. that's a sub-biblical posture yeah. to take towards scripture. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean Absolutely. I think so here's just to recap. So for both of us, we kind of had these assumptions about what men and women could do, and then we begin to just question them, 
mm-hmm. and and you 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 described it as somewat arbitrary and and FF Bruce gave you uh, a more charismatic understanding of how gifting and authority work in the church that right. comported with your upbringing and made sense better than just it's probably best if women aren't senior pastors. <laughs> right. Yeah, which, which felt an ar- arbitrary line yeah. in the sand. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it was about um, interfacing with women who had authority in the church and were leading in ways that I that I was told was sinful and wrong, mm-hmm. and not seeing them uh, cursed or me as unblessed or cursed from uh, benefiting from them, but also, two really getting on the inside. And I really did come on the inside of it. I mean, I was looking to bolster my belief in a traditional conservative, you know, complementarian mm-hmm. kind of understanding. And when I got on the inside of it, I just saw all these, arbitrary is a good word, mm-hmm. all these arbitrary dis- hermeneutical decisions based upon the theology that they had to protect and defend and bolster. And I just, like, for me, there was like an integrity issue. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't want to do that. And I think my experience helped me say, I don't have to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I I've, You're not being I've, unfaithful by I've, exploring this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. doesn't make me a pagan or, you yeah. know. So anyway, that's just a recap kind of our story, but that mm-hmm. just gets us to a place of uh being 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 dudes who are like are cool with women being pastors. Right. But Again, that doesn't theoretically. mean theoretically. Abstractly. <laughs> like the, like I I don't mean that that's not enlightenment. That's simply no. like me I've just stopped aggressively being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Like I've just stopped aggressively sort of denying women a place in the church that yeah. God is not denying them. Right. Uh, but then um, what we want to talk about from here forward is all of the work. Yes. All of the, and I would just say, I had no idea how much I had to learn in uh-huh. order to act on this conviction yeah. in a meaningful way for women and men in the church together. Yes. There's all kinds of gender scripts. There's structural issues. There's trauma. There's power. There's yep. there's re- gender relationship issues. All this stuff that we're inextricably bound up in that we don't realize we're bound up in until we make this commitment to say, Let, let's learn how to lead together. And then <laughs> that's when the stuff hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we want to talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, stuff hitting the fan next time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening, friends. I trust you have stories about this too. Maybe your story is the different direction. Maybe you've affirmed women and you've moved in the other direction. Perhaps you have similar stories on our trajectory moving from sort of a complementarian to a more um, mutuality and ministry perspective. We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to hear what you're learning as a man or a man or a woman in a ministry alongside people of the opposite. Sex. So email us, let us know what you think, and we will come back next time ready to talk about how nasty that fan is. <laughs> now that all the stuff is hit it? <laughs> now, now that everything's hit it. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next Peace. time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question, suggest a topic for future episodes. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful throughout the week. 
to join us. Go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.